So I'm joined again by Phil Oakley for this week's IC Alpha podcast. How are you doing, Phil? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you, John. Are you all right? I'm very well, thank you. I'm here on holiday in Southwold, but uh, taking a break from my holiday to uh, to talk about the markets and some uh, some action on the uh, the reporting front, which you've uh, updated in your Alpha report this week. Should we talk about the markets? I mean, I, I must admit, I haven't really been paying a lot of attention. Quickly had a look at the FTSE All Share chart, and it's pretty ugly. What's going on? Well, there's lots going on. Um... But I think uh, I, I think there's, there's there's a bit of reality starting to kick in to to investor mindsets now. In the this situation that we find ourselves in with the virus and the restrictions that are put on our way of lives are here for a, for a long time, or potentially a long time, and that has big implications on how we all behave, how we spend money, and how businesses earn money. And it's quite clear that for a lot of businesses, it's going to be very, very hard. Yeah, so looking at the chart, the, the, sort of, uh, the latest sort of drop came after the 15th of September, I guess when worries about rising infection rates and potential second lockdowns uh, started to emerge. And, and I guess this is something we've been, certainly you've been talking about for a long time, that the possibility of this second wave uh, was dismissed quite widely and markets went on a big run. Um, but, but now it looks like, as you say, it's becoming a reality. What, what are the implications of, of, of this in terms of, of how the economy is affected? I think the, the risk is that it, is the, the economy having had, you know, basically punched in the guts in, in March has got back on its feet and actually done quite a good job of trying trying to recover um, over the summer um, and, you know, getting to where we are now. And the danger is, is, that it, is that it stalls again and we get, you know, another another leg down in economic activity. You know, if you actually look at what and read what, um, you know, companies are coming out and saying, you know, we're getting a lot of company results now. Um, which is incredibly useful um, if you take the time to read them because you do get a feel um, of what's actually going on at the coalface by looking at all different companies. And a lot of companies coming out and saying, look, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there. And particularly sectors like leisure, hospitality, sadly, they're laying people off. And if you lay people off, that means that people will have less money to spend and it will affect the economy. We spoke to a number of uh, businesses for our other podcast, Not Your Normal Finance Show, um, this week. And, you know, they've, caught, they've spent a lot of money uh, trying to get themselves into a position where they can start to operate again uh, in a, an environment with COVID-19. And, you know, that money could potentially be wasted if, if, you know, all of a sudden harsh new restrictions come in and they can't trade. Yeah, I mean, the pubs, I've thought thought for a long time that the pubs are going to really struggle. I I think that the pubs have been fortunate in some way and that the weather in the summer has been so good that that, that customers who have come back to the pubs have been able to sit outside and drink outside, and that's been very helpful. And once the weather changes and, and things get, you know, the nights get darker... Um, it's going to be a lot harder. Um, and things like the 10 o'clock curfew that's being, being announced is a, is a real killer 
particularly for the sort of city centre bars, which are where you've had a polarisation of trading activity, which happened years ago into Friday and Saturday nights. You know, if these things are having to close at 10 o'clock, which means last orders is at half past nine, it's going to be very tough. And that, and that, feed, and that feeds through. That, that feeds through. You know, the, the whole, you know, it's, it's times like this that you actually get to see how things work. Things are actually laid out very clearly for you. And you realise that there's, the economy is just millions and millions of linked activities. And if all you need is something in the chain to get weaker or to break, and the whole system comes under stress. And it seems like right now lots of things are breaking at the same time, sadly, with this common denominator of COVID-19. Yeah, and then, you know, and there's all, you know, the things like, you know, the furlough scheme. And we had, you know, we had the Chancellor yesterday coming out and saying, you know, how, you know it's quite clear the government cannot afford to pay 80% of people's wages indefinitely. And, it's, it's, you know, we've, we've had the debt figures come out. We're talking Friday morning now. We, you know, debt figures have come out this morning. And I think last year, the government, last month, sorry, the government borrowed £36 billion. It, can't, it cannot keep doing that, despite the fanciful thoughts of certain academics that you can just print your way out of trouble. That's just, just fantasy. You cannot, you cannot keep doing that. You know, with, with the new scheme going forward, it's only going to support jobs that are there, the jobs that are viable. And, you know, it's quite clear that the Chancellor is saying that a lot of jobs are now unviable. This is a you know, potentially very big shock to spending power in the economy. And, you know, it's often said that the stock market isn't the economy, which is true. Um, or the economy isn't the stock market, whichever way you want to put it. That's true, but the economy does does have a big bearing on company revenues and company profits. And when it comes to share prices, they matter. You, you would think that what happens in the real economy has to filter through to the stock market at some point. I, I've always I've always been puzzled by this. Yeah, they don't move in lockstep the economy and markets, but but as you say, companies. Uh, are, are reporting profits. Those profits drive their valuations. The valuations drive the share price. So, uh, so, so, I, I, and the market overall. So, I, I really don't understand how people can be so blasé about disconnecting the economy and the stock market. They have to. They have to be somehow connected. I agree. Eventually, that, you know, eventually they have to. But obviously, the Federal Reserve has tried to do a very good job at convincing other people, convincing people that that's not true, and that all you need to do is print money screw down interest rates and the price of everything goes up. And that, that, really, has, that really does have limits. I mean, it looks now, um, you know, if you believe, that, as I do, that what happens in America basically affects what's happened here in terms of stock markets, time will tell, but the, the American market looks like it's, it's plateaued. But I, one of the other, other interesting things I've seen you know, in the last week or so, which I, I find quite telling, is... We seem to have moved from people being obsessed about inflation and perhaps a dawning reality that we're not going to get inflation, despite things like supply shocks being caused by factories being shut and money being printed. The demand shock of people being out of out of work 
is actually stronger. So you haven't got, a, and also the fact that the money that the Federal Reserve is printing, most of it isn't going into the pockets of households, starters. So you haven't got that classic classic scenario of too much money chasing too few goods. The real, the real worry is actually that what we're seeing now is a big deflationary um, effect. And if you just look at the price of things like gold and silver, which are seen as classic uh, inflation hedges, they sold off very strongly in the last three, four, five weeks, suggesting that the fear of inflation is not there at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you are seeing inflation in some uh, asset classes. We've written about property and house prices on the cover uh, feature of the magazine this week. I'm, I'm, I'm down in Southwold, and this, you know, this property market here is going ballistic. Um, you know, I guess partly that's people trying to escape London, but you know, now that we're in this new teleworking world, but but you know, we're looking at these houses, thinking, can you know, how long is this going to last? Is is there a sort of mania which is driving some asset prices up in the short term? We've, we've spoke, spoke to local business people who've said we can't get staff, so there is there is some uh, wage cost inflation that they're feeling around here. So so I don't know. There is there are sort of some inflationary signs, but uh, maybe they're maybe they're red herrings. No, no, I agree with the point you've made about property. I think, I think the next podcast is that we need to go into London and talk to a London estate agent and find out who's buying, buying the property that Londoners are selling. Yeah, because they've got to sell yeah. their properties there to buy the ones here. So I think this is where the chain perhaps falls down a little bit. But we, we should talk about that uh, at another time in more detail. Yeah. Should, should we talk about some companies this week that, that are reflective yeah, yeah. of what's happening in the COVID economy? Uh, I think you wanted to start it with, should we start with the bad news and finish with the good news? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that seems the, best, the most the way. potentially uplifting way to, to address this, this yeah. sticky subject. Should we start with SSP, um, which uh, had some numbers this week and is struggling very badly? Struggling very badly. And it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, a year ago, if you and I were sitting down and talking about this company a year ago, or, or even slightly less than a year ago, we'd probably come to the view that, you know, you wouldn't mind having a few shares in a company like this because, uh, you know, you have shops, you run shops on railway, railway forecourts and airports, lots of captive customers, um, lots of throughput, growing passenger numbers um, who, who can come and spend in your shops and you can make quite nice profits, quite nice returns on them. And you and there was a pipeline of lots more to come. And now there isn't. And, you know, the, the numbers that we've seen this week are, you know, just horrendous. You know, you're looking at like sale, sales levels down sort of 85% and massive losses. Now, this company is, you know, made £220 million of trading profit last year. And it's going to make a loss of about probably about two ten if things go for them, um, go the way they think they're going to go. It's a massive swing. That is a massive swing, and it, but you know, but it's actually better than what they thought it might have been three months ago. This company's worked really quite hard and deserves a lot of credit. It's really worked hard on its cash flow, its cost renegotiating his rent but it's still burning burning cash you know cash is still flowing out the door every month and only around the third of its outlets are still open so 
you know, how does this how does this company get back to making what it made in 2019? Is impossible to say. You know, the 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 air traffic forecasts are not sort of to get back to 2019 levels until about 2024. Um, and I think that on the rail business, certainly in this country, you can't help thinking that that pe- people are working from home and a lot of them like it. And whilst a lot of them will probably go back to the office in some way, they may not do it five days a week. So you can't help thinking that there's been some permanent damage to the value of uh, SSP's rail business here. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there, there, there must have been some hope when uh, the government was encouraging uh, workers to go back to offices, uh, which was only a few weeks ago. And now that the reverse seems to be very true. And I've heard stories of people who, who were back in the office who've, who've now been told, actually, don't come in for a bit. And then you've got the curfew. I mean, you know, the SSP model is based on these sort of rail franchises, get your late night pasty after a trip to the pub. Um, that's gone too. And, and who knows when, when that's coming back. So, yeah, I, 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 uh, I think this is a very, very troubled company. Um, and you might look at it and say, wow, it's cheap. You know, it's, it was a great business, could be a great business again, but I don't think you're so sure. The, the debt levels now, um, you know, particularly when you, you, know, you take into account that, that this is a company that rents, rents its shops. So it has lease obligations. And it's done, as I say, it's done some good work in trying to contain the risks of, of, of its obligations there. But there's a lot of debt in this business, and um, that debt is going up whilst whilst the company is is losing money. But but I guess it's bankers, you know, if that debt's going up. They don't they don't want it to reach the point where it just simply cannot pay it back. So presumably the bank its bankers will give it quite a lot of support here, or, or can we expect another rights issue? Or you know, yeah, so somebody somebody's got if it cannot recover trading to to pay back its debts or to to at least get its debt under control then then you know it's it seems like a business that's that nobody will want to let go bust yeah i think i think if people can see a recovery and see a reasonably strong recovery in profits then then you'll then this is the kind of business that you will lend money to whether you're a share whether you're a, a banker or a shareholder um i i think don't write, don't rule off these kind of travel and hospitality businesses having to ask shareholders for for more money again. No one's re- no one's really talking about this. Um, they seem to have they seem to have you know got their fundraisings away. Some of them quite well and, and, and done a good job of it. SSP was was a very was a very early fundraising as well, if I remember. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they you know they were raising what doing placings of 20% of their shares, which is usually something that annoys shareholders, existing shareholders, but, you know, needs must. You know, it may well, it may well happen, may well have to happen again before these businesses get on uh, a more, a more sounder footing. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. Let's hope they're, they're done. But um, how, how, if you're an analyst or an investor looking at a stock like this, how on earth do you, have any confidence that you can predict the profits and therefore and therefore value a business like this. It's really hard. Pure punt, in other words. Should we talk about Whitbread as well, um, which is another company that is obviously in the travel sector and hospitality sector. 
which is which is having a very very similar experience, which you've written about in your Alpha report this week. Um, in particular, the hotels business, I think, is a, is, a, is perhaps something we should talk about because yeah, not a lot of people have talked about the hotel industry throughout COVID and, and Whitbread and its premier in subsidiary are suffering for two two very different reasons here in the hotels business. Talk us through what's going on. Well, you know, before before COVID came around, you know, I would I would say that this this company had probably the best hotel business in the UK. I mean, a lot of us have stayed in, in Premier Inns. I, I mean, I've not stayed in one for a while, but st- over the years, I've stayed in quite a lot of them. And I think from a customer point of view, they're pretty good businesses. And they have rolled them out very aggressively, the number of hotels and hotel rooms across the UK. And they've taken a lot of a lot of market share from the sort of independent hotel operators that haven't got the money and resources to keep their hotels looking nice and welcoming to particularly business people in in, in midweek but also the 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 sort of domestic weekend away holiday market as well yeah they're they're the two they're the two aspects that i think i mean they're slightly different but but each of them are affected in different ways by by what's happening the, the tourism side of things but also the business travel side of things yeah, the t- tourism side of it, up until what's sort of been happening this week, looks like it's come back quite well. And, and you know, one of the key things that you look at with a hotel is how full its hotels are, the, the occupancy rate. And the occupancy rate in hotels with, you know, good tourist demand, not talking about London here at the moment, because London is not benefiting from tourist demand, is about 80%. That's pretty good. The rest of it is pretty bad, and that the the overall the overall occupancy rate is about fifty percent. So these hotels are half full, which means that a lot of business business areas are less than half full, and essentially you can't make money as a hotelier with occupancy levels like that. You you still got a lot of fixed costs um, to cover. Um, and you need, you know, 70% plus, really, to start, not to start making decent profits, but actually getting a return on investment of the millions and millions that you have to invest in a business like this. And Whitbread looks like it's um, a long way from doing this, and it's having to take pretty radical action. And you're talking about 6,000 jobs going in this business uh, over the next few months, and also those also those that have jobs maybe have to work fewer hours, more flexible hours as as the the whole business model has to change and adapt to to a, to a different world so, so I think it's quite interesting I mean you talk about business meetings I mean this could be a permanent shift you know people have not traveled on business in the way they did now they realize that, that actually they don't have to travel in the way that they did to, to conduct business. Premier Inns invested a lot of money to capitalise on the business travel market. Does it have to write down a lot of its assets now? I think it's going to have to write down its assets. I mean, you know, in, in the good times, you know, people will look, people, you know, people, even people like me saying, look, this is a company that's got a lot of really valuable assets. And, you know, particularly in places like London, and there's a lot of freehold property value here. And I, you know, I've been banging on for years that Whitbread should have done what Intercontinental Hotels have done, 
which was actually sell off the assets and turn Premier Inn into a franchising system. I, I, I don't think you can do that now. Um, I think if you if you look at asset value, you know, a lot of investors look at asset value and they say, oh, yeah, they compare the price of the share with the asset value per share. I think the important thing to realize when you're looking at asset values is that the asset value is only worth what it's stated at is in the book. If that asset can earn a reasonable return you know, in terms of profit and cash flow. Now, if we look at the forecasts, we're quite lucky. We, you know, if I look at the, you know, the four week forecasts for profits and asset values that, that, that analysts have put out for Whitbread, you know, even in three years time, um, analysts have basically got Whitbread making less than 5% return on equity on, you know, a net asset value of about four and a half billion. That tells me, and the market cap at the moment is just over four billion. That's kind of telling me that unless they pick up to sort of eight, nine percent minimum, those assets are not worth four and a half billion. They're worth a lot less. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that come sort of March next year or the spring next year when the company produces annual accounts, it's going to have to put a lot of red ink through the valley of its hotels. Yeah, and presumably the cost of running those hotels um, on top of the, the lower revenue that it's getting, presumably with all that extra capacity, it, it, its room rates are, are, are you know, perhaps not holding up as, as well as they could be as well, you, you would imagine. Um, speaking, speaking to you know, people that run the holiday lets around here, there are all sorts of extra costs involved in uh, cleaning and making everything COVID safe. So, so as well as this revenue hit, there must be a cost hit as well here for, for a business like this, which is not going to go away. Yeah, definitely. And um, the, the interesting thing is that, you know, there's been no mention of, of room rate. You know, what, you know, one of the ways you can fill up, fill up rooms is you cut the room rate. And um, now my, my concern now with, with, with Whitbread is that in certain markets, you know, it in particular has been throwing a load of fresh supply at this market. And the sort of nagging thing that I've got in the back of my mind with this company is that in certain sections of the UK market, certain towns and locations, it may have got too many rooms and the market itself may be oversupplied. Time will tell. It sounds like one to avoid for the time being. Should we... Should we, should we uh, I think so. Should we, uh, should we talk about something positive? Now that yeah, we've yeah, uh, had the depressing, like depressing, depressive effect of COVID. Let's yeah, start yeah. with... Uh, Let's talk about small fluffy animals because they always cheer everyone up. Pets at Home had a little trading update yesterday and it was, as you would expect, given that everyone is buying puppies, really pretty good. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, didn't we, as a, as a sort of possible private equity success story. Mm. Where, eventually, eventually. Um, but clear, clearly, you know, pets are... Um, Pets are actually a very interesting investment theme in general because humans, I think humans treat pets better than they treat each other. So, <laughs> so um, trying to invest in something that helps do that is can be quite a good way to in, invest your money. And you know, pets at home have done a pretty good job. You know, their strategy—it's not just 
you know, it's not just, you know, these big stores on retail parks where you walk out with a bag of dog food under your arm. You know, they have vet surgeries, grooming parlours, that kind of thing. And they've done really well with it. And um, It's taken them a while to get it right, though. I mean, it has taken it a while. Has. They did have a few missteps after they came to market. A few little twists and turns, getting, getting refining yeah. that strategy. But, but now it looks in pretty good shape. Yeah, this is a recent event. You know, it's taken them a while to find, to find this strategy um, that, that works. And, it, and it's working, working pretty well now. Um, and, you know, profits, momentum, momentum in profits um, is heading in the right direction, which is an interesting theme in itself because I think um, we've got a piece either on our website uh, or in the magazine this week, um, which is looking at companies that are seeing a lot of upgrades and... Um, I think it's on the website, actually. Yeah, that would be that would be part of the um, ideas farm that LG Hall puts together. Yeah, and this is a really interesting piece to go and look at because I was actually taken aback by the size of the list, you know. And obviously, pets is part of this. You get, you know, you're getting companies coming out and saying that you know the, things are going to be a bit better than what they expected, or a lot better than what they expected. And um, this this can be quite interesting if that trend continues because you then you then these these shares can become momentum shares subject to what we said about 10 15 minutes ago about what's happening with the economy you obviously got to be mindful of that the other thing to bear in mind is that even though these things are getting better they're still so in, in many cases they're still a long way away from what they were a year ago which and when it comes to valuation and things like that these these companies still have a lot of work to do, but it's in it's it's an interesting theme that I think investors should keep an eye on. And pets at home, pets at home is definitely part of this. I mean, it has had, unlike Whitbread and SSP, uh, a COVID tailwind. So, as I mean, I, I, I joked about people rushing out as lockdown hit to buy pets, but they did. The, the numbers support that. You know, dog sales and dog prices went through the roof. And you know, once you've invested in a dog, in a cockapoo or whatever it might be, um, you've got to keep paying for it. So there is a sort of, there does seem to be some kind of resilience to to the revenue streams of a company like Pets at Home. You can't stop feeding it. You can't stop taking it to the vet, giving it injections or whatever it might be. Absolutely. You know, it's it's pretty much, you know, non-discretionary. It's it's very, these businesses are actually very defensive. And, you know, we've seen, you know, over the last decade, Investors like reliable, dependable, understandable businesses. And this ticks a lot of boxes. Yeah, and presumably there's a bit of potential growth in there as well. You know, if the pet market continues to grow, then then as well as that that sort of as you say, non-discretionary, dependable revenue stream, you've also got potentially a bigger market to serve as more people rush out and buy dogs as we go into second lockdown. Yeah, hopefully uh, people have still got the money to buy the dog food. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, okay, let's uh, move on to another another positive story, um, which is Diploma, uh, which is it's, it's a it's an interesting little business. And as you say in your Alpha report, it's in distribution, which is not something we generally like. Um, but there are some very good examples, and this is one of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, dis- distributors, you know, buying and selling stuff is 
often and quite rightly seen as a sort of low value added activity. But there are examples out there where companies do it very well. Bunzel, which is a company we talked about a few weeks ago, is, is one that does a good job. And Diploma is another one. And what makes Diploma very interesting is that unlike Bunzel, which is selling and distributing sort of lots of everyday items like cleaning materials and things like packaging, um, Diploma is very niche. It is um, focusing on a lot of sort of um, specialist problem-solving um application so it's selling things like um medical devices um cables mo- and selling into markets like mobile machinery um defense aerospace very specialist critical products that are needed by its customers for them to for their businesses to work properly the other thing as well is is they are selling stuff that is part of their customers' day-to-day activities. It's not like big investment projects that can be cancelled. It's stuff that businesses need day-to-day to keep running. So it's not the sort of thing that they can turn off very quickly or very easily um, without disrupting disrupting their own business. And what Diploma is a brilliant example of as well, and this is, this is a theme that you, you keep coming back to when you're trying to identify outstanding businesses, is how the company forges relationships with its supply chain, but more importantly, its customers. So I've, you know, I've talked about the past companies like Spirax Sarko, which for me is one of the best examples of a business that really, really gets to know its customer gets to know what it needs and becomes a partner in making its customers' businesses better. That is a fantastic attribute for a business to have and it helps it grow, helps it grow profitably. Diploma has a lot of this also. And what it's been able to do is get in in with its customers who are in attractive end markets, selling profitable products to it, and growing. And then on top of that, it's then been buying companies that, that they can add on to this existing system of businesses that they've got. And then they scale it up and leverage it up. And this has been a phenomenally successful strategy, has been for Bunzel, has been even better for Diploma. And this week, we saw a very, very big acquisition that the stock market seemed to like and even I was taken aback by how much the share price went up but having looked at this deal you, you almost have to look at you look back at it and think goodness me this is almost too good to be true you know it's an acquisition that just sounds brilliant which kind of sort of makes me a little, little bit wary but if I look at it it just thinks well yeah I can understand why people like this it's also, you'd imagine, uh, people interpret it as a show of confidence from Diploma in its ability to keep finding these kind of deals, keep growing in what, for many companies, is a very difficult time. Well, I think there was a lot of confidence. Yeah, there was a lot of confidence. And the investors were very confident as well. I mean, if you looked at... they, they So they're buying this business in America, which is a big distributor of 
low voltage cables, which um, the business is booming at the moment because they're selling a lot of stuff into things like data centers with um, for cloud computing and things like 5G mobile networks. Big growth businesses that are likely to be growing strongly for a, for a long time. And the, um, the business that they've bought is called, called Windy City. Um, has had a fantastic track record of growing. And it seems to me that um, um, Diploma have been able to get this for a phenomenally good price, which, which I just think either the seller's been completely fleeced or there's something, or there's something here that is just too good to be true. But, but you see, there was a, it's a £357 million price tag to this. And the company have raised 190 million in a placing, and then they, to their credit, they went on primary bid and gave private investors a chance to to put some money in as well, and they raised four million from them, and they were able to do it at hardly any discount, you know, or not not much of a discount to the um, to the prevailing price, and. Um, yeah, it just looks really good. I mean, the, 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 the deal is going to make a very good return on investment. It is adding a significant chunk in revenue and profit to Diploma's existing business. So it's making Diploma a much bigger business, but it's making it a, a bigger business in its controls market, which is a very attractive business, as I've just given you a couple of big growth drivers there, and also in the American market as well. So you just so you look at this and people are like ticking boxes and ticking boxes and saying, yep, 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 like this, like the price, like the growth, like the ability to sort of scale this. And you you know, the share price went up what, 25, 26% or whatever it was. Not sure I like the rating too much, 34 times Earnings. I mean, it, it, it's it's pretty punchy. Yeah, no one likes that kind of price, do they? <laughs> no, not really. Um, but I guess yeah, we've talked about this many, many times before. You've got to pay up for quality. This is the going rate now. This is the going rate now. We we may we may in the future come back and say, what on earth were we talking about saying that this was the going rate when it looked? It does look, you know, for people like you and me who have been around a bit and looked at looked at valuations over twenty odd years. This looks ridiculous, but we are in a world of low interest rates and scarce a scarcity of quality growth stories. And this is, as you say, this is the price. But I think I think that that's pre upgrade. So it was on about thirty four times earnings yesterday before before the upgrades to forecast came through. But yeah, this is this is a really good business in something that a lot of people may may initially dismiss and it's in your uk quality shares portfolio it is i've been doing that well until this week so yeah. it's, it's bailed it out excellent well cheers phil uh you're gonna join me in southwold next week do the podcast from up here i'll see what the weather's like john it's looking pretty looking pretty dodgy at the moment to be honest it's i think the weather forecast is rain for the next week i've timed it brilliantly but at least i'm not in london if it's anything like today, I'm staying put. But if it's all right, then I'll be putting the back seats down on my car and filling up at Adnam's Brewery on the way back. Fabulous. Thanks, Phil. Uh, speak to you next week. Thanks, John. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.